0: Uh, Today, we are going to wrap up a series we've been doing on the family for the last month or so. And today, actually, is the conclusion of the message on parenting that I began last week. Remember, we talked about how that was really in two parts. And let me stress again, you really need both of these weeks. And so if you weren't here last weekend, you can go online Uh, You can watch or listen, all of that stuff is available there electronically, so take advantage of that. Last weekend, we talked about helping our children feel deeply and securely loved. And then this weekend, we're going to talk about the aspect of discipling our children, of intentionally seeking to shape their heart. And it's so important that you understand that everything we're going to talk about today is really built on that foundation of last weekend of really helping our children continually feel loved. Uh, Otherwise, we risk driving our children away from us. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says this. He says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. That word exasperate just means this. Don't overdraw your account with them. You know, as you are seeking to disciple them, as you are seeking to deal strongly with what's going on in their heart, you can do that if you haven't laid that critical foundation of continually refueling their hearts as well. You know, letting that love tank inside of them uh, continually being refilled. So you need both of these aspects that our children do feel deeply and securely loved so that we can do the things that we're going to talk about this weekend. Well, the, our foundational verse, pretty much everything I'm going to talk to keeps coming back to your understanding of a verse in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. This is very foundational, where it says this. It says, Folly, or it could be translated foolishness, so that concept of foolishness or folly, it says, is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline will drive it far away. You see, the role of a parent is to drive out foolishness from our children's hearts. We have to recognize that that cute and lovable little Johnny is at his core a self-centered, rebellious sinner. That he isn't basically good. That, you know, if you just give him the chance, he really wants to do what's right or what's best or what's pleasing to God. No, he has a foolish heart. And so this important role of discipling our children is what we're talking about, and that involves discipline. See, discipline and discipling, same root. You see that? Discipline, then, is the important part of how we do this, of how we drive out the foolishness in our children's hearts. And I think this foolishness really shows itself in two key areas. Number one is that they're self-centered, self-focused, that I come out of the womb with this predisposition that I am the center of the universe. See? And I'm afraid that a lot of parents, what we actually do is we just reinforce that in them rather than striving to drive it away from them. So there's that area area of selfishness, of self-centeredness. And the second one has to do with authority, that I come from the factory with this sense that I'm unwilling to yield myself to anyone other than me. (laughs) I'm not going to line up under anyone's authority. I'm not going to listen to anyone. I'm not going to yield to anyone. And so again, as parents, as a parent, it's my responsibility to recognize these ways of foolish thinking in my child and then use discipline to seek to drive it away from their hearts. And this is why, listen, this is why it's so important that as parents with our young children, we don't just reason with them. I see parents trying to do that all the time, you know. Johnny, don't kick that stranger in the shins. He doesn't, you know, it'll hurt. And Johnny goes up and does it anyway, and you go, "Now, Johnny, you know that you really shouldn't do that." And Johnny does it again, and you know, and no, no. We have to understand that that our children are not basically good. That they they don't have this built-in desire to do right. Now, I'm not saying they aren't sweet. But what I'm saying is they have a foolish heart. And so as their authority, what I do as their parent is I tell them what to do. And I expect them to obey that. See, because I want to teach my child that obedience leads to reward and blessing. While disobedience leads to pain and consequences. That's the way God created the world. And so, I'm continually striving to do that. We have a story that we tell in our home now with a lot of humor, but uh, when our kids were little, Janet would regularly, she would take uh, our kids with another mom and her kids uh, down to the library for story time downtown. And um, it was a big deal to press the elevator button, you know. Now, it's only two floors. I mean, you're just going from one to two, you know. But it's a big deal to get to press that two kind of thing. And so it was a constant source or whatever. So they decided they would take turns, you know. This week it's your turn, and the next week it's their turn, and you know, that kind of thing and so forth. But there was this one kid in the mix. Uh, we'll call him Rastus, okay. So Rastus, <laughs> uh, Rastus would continually decide that he wasn't going to listen to the, you know, he was going to press the button anyway. And his mom would say to him, now, Rastus, you know, it's not your turn this week, you know, it's so and so forth. And Rastus would look right at her and press the button. And she would go, now, Rastus, you know, you know it, was, it was constant source of whatever. So anyway, one week uh, they went and um, um, they were there getting in the elevator and Joel was eyeing that number two right there. <laughs> And Janet saw what was going on and she looked Joel, got eye contact with her right in the eye and said, Joel, do not press the elevator button. It is not your turn this week, do not press that. And Joel looked her square in the eye and then he went over and pressed that number two. <laughs> and then Janet spent the next little while thoroughly convincing Joel that there was consequences to not being obedient. See, that in our home, obedience led to reward and blessing, but disobedience led to pain (laughs) and (laughs) consequence in our home. But see, that's what we're to do. As parents, we're to continually seek what's going on inside of our children's hearts and minds, and then we discipline disobedience and defiance as well as correcting immaturity and stupidity. Now, it's important that we understand. See, because our children sometimes do undesired things, and sometimes it's defiance, but sometimes it's just immaturity. It's just just being stupid, you know? I remember when I was seven years old, one day, uh, we were, um, my dad was burning trash out in the yard, and uh, we were playing good guys and bad guys, and um um my friend randy was the bad guy and the other guy who was on my team you know he had randy and was holding him and i was heating the screwdriver in the trash can because because i was going to brand him because i'd seen this on laredo it's what they had done on laredo (laughs) and uh honestly to this day 50 years later it's still all somewhere in the midst of my mind the reality and the pretending and anyway i branded Right there on Randy's arm, somewhere today, there's a guy showing that scar, fifty years later to somebody else. You know, and uh, but but I branded him, and Randy was not pleased with that whole turn of events right there. And so Randy ran home, uh, to his house, and his dad called my dad, and then my dad beat the snot out of me. Is what he did. That was, my parents had one discipline technique it was beat the snot out of you kind of thing and again they weren't abusive I'm not ascribing that it's none of that kind of thing but they it was a very thorough convincing (laughs) that not to brand kids in the neighborhood you know that kind of thing Um, but you know it's it's funny I, I look back on that now as a much older person and I realize you know really that wasn't an act of defiance what, I really, what my dad really should have done is made me deal with the natural consequences of doing that. He should have marched me down there to Randy's house, and I should have had to have done whatever Randy or his parents thought I should do to make that right with him. That's really what he should have done. I, he should have just put me in, in the... Because, because, again, I wasn't being defiant. I was just stupid. And, and listen, parents, this is important. Now you get a little science today, too. Um, the frontal lobe of the brain, that's where the reasoning is, isn't fully developed until our late teens and so that's why when you look at your kids and you say to them what are you thinking they don't know they really don't (laughs) I remember when I was six I was in first grade I was at my grandmother's and and um, I saw on the on the on the uh, sink there she had this jar of Vaseline big jar of Vaseline and it said right on it unbreakable jar now those of you who are younger, you know, everything, you, you know, you don't understand this, but it used to all be glass, but then they came out with this newfangled plastic stuff, see? And so I, now I understand that's what they meant by unbreakable. But as a six year old, I thought, huh, unbreakable jar. So I took that thing and I stood up on the side of the bathtub and with all my strength, I slammed that down on her ceramic tile and Vaseline went everywhere. The jar lied. It was not unbreakable. <laughs> And again, honest to Pete, it never crossed my mind it could break. It really did. I I was just stupid. And again, what my grandmother should have done was made me clean up Vaseline until my fingers bled, probably. But (laughs) see, I should have, there wasn't a defiance going on there. It was just stupidity. It was just immaturity. But as parents, here's what we need to do. We need to recognize foolishness. That's going on in our children. Especially when it's, it's, it's in that area of defiance. It's in that area of disobedience. And that needs to move us to action. See, when my child throws a temper tantrum. If I give in to that. Here's, here's what I'm doing. I, I'm rewarding their foolish heart. I'm teaching them. To be self-focused and to be self-centered, to be manipulative in order to get their way, to not line up under anybody's authority, but just to refuse to listen to anybody else but themselves, see? There's there's people my age who, you know, when they don't get their way, you know what they do? They throw a temper tantrum. Now, they don't lay on the floor and kick and scream. I mean, that would be really weird. I would agree with you on that. But but they throw a temper tantrum. You know why? Because that's what they learn, see? Their foolish heart was was rewarded. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this. It says, this is a verse you've heard before, but I'm not sure you've maybe heard it to its full understanding. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That little phrase there that says, in the way he should go, really, in Hebrew, you could just as easily interpret that according to his bent. Train up a child according to his bent, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. I think it's a warning to us as parents that if you continue to let your child's foolish heart guide him, guide her, that what you will produce when they're grown is an adult fool. See? And so remember this connection to discipling. Again, discipline and discipling, it's the same root word. Because the role of discipline is, is to seek to affect my child's thinking and their heart. And one of the primary tools that we can use is just that of consequences. See, there's great value when we discipline, of seeking to help our child understand the connection between that discipline. And the consequence, that, that's why I, I don't think just, you know, a lot of, of us as parents, what we do is we just randomly punish. You know, we just ground for everything. We just, you know, we just, we, it, and, and see, I don't, I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think that's as valuable as helping them understand the consequence. Now, when they're younger, when they're younger, you know, you don't get into the whole understanding of it. I, I think spanking, that's why I think spanking is a, is a good approach when they're younger. You just want them to understand disobedience leads to pain. But as they get older, See, there's this value in helping them connect. This disobedience, this act of defiance is going to really lead to these consequences. Even other undesired behaviors, that's not even defiance. Helping them understand the connection of these behaviors will lead to these results, see, these consequences. And so so what we do is, is we strive as much as possible to let natural consequences do the teaching. Again, when I was in when I was seven years old, again, s- second grade was a bad year for me. I, <laughs> but um, I remember one day the bus was late, and um, my friend Shane, who was in third grade, much wiser, you know, <laughs> Shane says to me, "Let's let's walk home from school." You know, the bus is late, we'll just walk home, we'll beat everybody there, we'll be there playing when the bus comes. We'll be able to laugh and make fun at all the kids for waiting for the late bus. I said, that's a great idea, Shane, let's do it. And so we started walking, and we walked, and we walked, and the bus passed us, and we walked, (laughs) and we walked. I mean, I'm not sure if a guy didn't stop and pick us up and take us the rest of the way, we might still be walking, I don't know. But uh, we got home, then about 45 minutes after the late bus got home, and uh, my mom was fit to be tied. And so you know what she did, don't you? She beat the snot out of me. That's what she did. That was her, that was the technique of discipline. And then my dad got home about an hour later, and he beat the snot out of me again. But I, I looked back on that, and, and what I really, you know, my, I really didn't need to be spanked. You know, I, I had experienced the natural consequences of being stupid, see, of, of, of walking. I mean, I would never, I would have never walked home from school. I mean, to this day, if, I'm at, if I was at school and there, there was no way to, I'm, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting on the right person to come get me. I'm not walking home, see. Natural consequences had taught me the lesson there, see. But I think what happens today is rather than letting natural consequences teach what a lot of us as parents do, is we have this tendency to rescue our kids way too often. You know, our, 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 our child, we have problems with them dawdling in the morning. And so, um, you know, we, we scream and we yell and we do, rather than saying, listen, you know, this is an ongoing thing, we're leaving the house at this time. And you'll have to leave in whatever state you are in at this time, see? And if that means going to school in their pajamas, that's the natural consequence you learn of not being ready to go at that time. If that means having to get dressed in the car, you know, with the other neighborhood kids, then that's the natural see, consequence that you learn of, uh, of not being ready. Um, if they forget their lunch, you know, um, uh, uh, you say to them, "Oh, that's awful! You are going to be so hungry <laughs> by the time you get home from school." Now, again, when you get home from school, you can have a snack. You're, they're not going to starve. And, and again, don't be jerks about it. I'm not saying the first time it happens, you know, you lay down the big law. But if this becomes this ongoing problem, you you, teach to, you, you say to them, "Listen, I want you to understand the consequence of this. If you, if you, if you." forget things, then you won't have things. I want you to learn that, and so next time it happens, you can call, and I'm going to empathize with you, but I'm not going to bring you your lunch. You're going to have to suffer the consequences of that, see? Natural consequences. Now, sometimes we have to create the consequence, because, you know, the the natural consequence would be too painful. You know, I want them to learn uh, to look both ways before they cross the street, and so, you know, I'll let them get run over. I mean, you know, too great a consequence, you know. Or sometimes there will be natural consequences, but, 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 you know, they're too far out. And so we have to teach our children, you know, we have to impose the consequence to help them learn that. You know, little Johnny, you know, don't, don't touch the stove because if you touch the stove, it's hot. It, you'll burn yourself. And so, you know, you take them over and you say, if you touch the stove, ow, that hurts. Yes, see, it's going to hurt. See, you're teaching them the nat- You're you're imposing the consequence to help them learn that. Um, you know, maybe if, if, if it's a situation that uh, you, you have this problem, you can't get them to pick up after themselves. You know, they're leave, they keep leaving their clothes out, and, you, you know, you talk to them, and rather than screaming and lecturing and going, you know, you say to them, listen, I, w- I want you to understand how this works. That in life, when you leave your stuff around and don't watch out for your stuff, you lose it. You know, if you leave your iPhone at Wendy's, it's not there two hours later. Somebody else has a new iPhone, see, is what happens. And, and so you have to learn this. And so here's what we're going to do. If, uh, if you leave your stuff out, then I'm going to, p- if I have to pick it up, then it will become mine for the next 30 days. You know, I'll give it back to you after that, but you'll have to, l- see, I want you to learn. I want you to learn that this is what happens. These are the natural, con- see, you're, you're creating the consequence there. Um, If they're talking back disrespectfully, that was my problem. In Virginia, we called it sassing. That's what my parents called it. But uh, that was my problem. And again, that rolls over into that area of defiance and disobedience. But again, if you're sassing, then here's what's going to happen. In in life, when you you don't talk respectfully, under control, then you're going to lose the right to be able to voice your opinion. When, when so-and-so happened. We, we taught our kids, listen, anytime we do anything, you always have the right to question, you always have the right to talk, but you have to do it with respect, and you have to do it under control. But if you don't do those things, see, the natural... Con- that's the way it works in real life, isn't it? You know, if you unload on your boss in the wrong way, or you do those things and so forth, he or she doesn't just sit there and go, well, that's just fine. You lose the opportunity, see, to do that. And so you impose these consequences. But the key here is to, t- to always be attempting to attach the behavior to their foolish belief, and especially when it's defiance issues. Because what you're seeking to do is to use discipline to impact their heart and their mind. You see, as their parent, I am their authority. And I want them to learn... That by learning to line up under my authority over them, I want them to be able to learn then that will help them be able to one day line up under God's authority over them. See, that, that's my goal. That's what I'm aiming at. That's what I'm striving for. But again, I think a lot of modern parenting kind of works this way. It's like, but, but, but I just love my child so much. And so I never want them to experience, you know, any pain, any unhappiness, any discomfort. And so every time there's a circumstance, I'm continually stepping into it and interrupting the consequence from happening. And I helicopter over my kids. And by doing so, what I do is I train them to be incapable or to at least think they are. See, ran across this article uh, a couple weeks ago in the Columbus Dispatch. It's called "Are We Raising a Generation of Helpless Kids?" And Mickey Goodman said this: "said Warning sign. When a college freshman received a C minus on her first test, she literally had a meltdown in class, sobbing. She texted her mother, who called back demanding to talk to the professor immediately." He, of course, declined. Another mother accompanied her adult child on a job interview and then wondered why he didn't get the job. And then later on, Mickey Goodman draws these conclusions. Why have parents shifted from teaching self-reliance to becoming hovering helicopter parents who want to protect their children at all cost. We are consumed with protecting them, listen to this, instead of preparing them for the future. See the difference? See, how much different when when our children are, are going through issues, rather than stepping in there and making them our problems, rather than stepping in, in there and solving them for it, how much different if we learn to, to help them in the midst, to help teach them to be responsible for themselves. You know, that as they're facing something, that we say, oh man, that is, that's horrible, that's tough. Man, why don't we pray about that together? I don't, I'm not sure what you're going to do, because that's a tough one. But let's let's pray about that together. See the difference? Taking it on myself, making it my pr- or that. Or um, man, uh, man, what you're going through? That that's a tough one. How, how about we brainstorm together? What you might do, you know, to deal with that. Um, and then, again, maybe they don't want to hear what you have to say, then that's fine. It's, it's, but, but, hey, you know, would you like that? I mean, maybe I can help you with it, but, it, but I want you to decide what you're going to do. But let me, maybe I can help you. See, see the difference. See. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 4, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and all of your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads, and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see, what he's talking about here is this aspect of intentionally seeking to disciple our kids. Certainly, modeling is a part of that. You know, again, if if we want our kids to have a walk with the Lord, we need to have a walk with the Lord. not, Not that we're perfect, but that they see us genuinely seeking after God if we want them to genuinely seek after God. That we can't ask them or tell them not to do things that we turn around and do. If this is what God says, it applies to me, just like it applies to you. Modeling is an important aspect of that. I think this aspect of representing God to them, see that, that, that I'm going to be a, a, a loving and just authority over you, just in the way that God is a loving and just authority over me. I think the aspect of, of seeking to speak spiritual truths into them, of looking for those opportunities where you can say, hey, w- 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 what's God have to say about this? Or what do you think God would want us to do? Or looking for those situations just like there in Deuteronomy 6, or, or, where it talks about that uh, there in um, yeah, Deuteronomy 6, where it talks about that, that whole aspect of just looking for those opportunities to speak truth, not to lecture, not to preach sermons, but to bring God into the conversation as much as you can, and what God would want you to do and want us to do, and how God looks upon those kind of aspects. I think there's this aspect of prioritizing Jesus in the choices we make. See, it's so easy to say Jesus is the most important thing in our home. But then do our choices show that? I know for us, again, again, our kids were athletic, so our choices showed up in sports. It could be anything. But, but you know, I remember facing that difficulty lots. I remember with Joanna. She, um, she was on a club soccer team, and they practiced on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But they switched because of a field not, becoming, not being available anymore. They switched their practices to Monday and Wednesday. And uh, the problem with that was Wednesday night was our youth group night. And, and it was, you know, again, it, it wasn't the, the legalism of not being at youth group, but youth group was, was the most important thing for teenagers in our church at that time. And small groups happened on Wednesday night in addition to the main youth group time. And Joanna was a small group leader, you know, and all of those aspects were involved in there and so forth. So, again, we talked about it with her. I said, what, "What do you think we ought to do?" And boy, Jesus, you know, Jesus is more important than soccer. And how do we deal with this and so forth? So again, what we came up with is that she went and talked to her soccer coach, and she said, "Listen, Wednesday night's a problem, and um, Jesus is important to me. And is, is there a way around this for us?" And I realize this may this may keep me from continuing to start. I don't I don't know, but. C- could I maybe practice with the team on Monday nights, but then because I miss Wednesday, could I go over here and practice with this other team where I have friends if they'll let me on Thursday nights, see? And the coach let her do that. I remember when Joel was playing ninth grade basketball. Um, Again, Wednesday night games, and uh, that came into youth group and that whole aspect. And and so again, sometimes that meant he was going to be late and all that stuff, but, but the rule in ninth grade was they had to ride the bus back to the school. And that was going to be a problem because that meant not just being late, but at times, you know, missing the whole thing and hitting into it too much. And so, again, we, we talked about, it. Joel, what do you think and how do we do it? And Jesus is the most important thing. And, you know, and, and so he went to his coach and he said, listen, you know, Jesus is important to me. And, you know, would it be possible if on Wednesday nights when we have games that I not have to ride the bus back, that my parents will just take me stinky right to the youth group, right from, right from the basketball game. I'll just go there sweaty and stinky like a junior high boy who just played basketball. See? And the coach let him do that. In fact, not only did he let him do that, he, he started letting Joel bring friends. So we took a whole van load on many Wednesday nights from the basketball game to the youth group. I was so glad when they got out of the van, you know, when we got there and, and so <laughs> forth. But, 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 I mean, but I, and again... <laughs> We were not perfect, we screwed up a bunch, but, 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 but do you see what I'm getting at? This whole aspect of prioritizing Jesus in our homes. Let me talk about freedom just a little bit, because I think often this aspect of freedom is at the source of conflict with our kids as they get older. And you need to understand that's not a bad thing. This is a God-built-in thing, because what's happening is your son or daughter is beginning to develop their own independence from you. I mean, you want that, right? You don't want them when they're my age, still living at your house, you know, you paying for them, you wiping their nose when they, get, you don't want that, right? So they're developing this independence from you. And remember, your goal all along is for them to learn to be in charge of their own lives. That you are raising one day adults and that you only have 18 or 20 years or however many to equip and to shape and disciple them. But one of the things we taught our kids was that freedom and responsibility went together. See, what they want is they want to be 100% free, but they aren't ready for that yet. And so we continually told our kids, you will be 100% free when you are 100% responsible. But between now and then, it's going to come in degrees. See, that's the way that freedom works. And again, here's the goal, is to move from me, us, Janet and me being in control, to them being in control. But it doesn't happen overnight, see. It's continually giving them more and more control. It's helping them understand that. It's helping them understand uh, all of these things. You know, now, as this happens, here's something you're going to hear. You don't trust me. And so when our kids would say that to me, my short answer was this. You are absolutely right. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I don't trust you any more than I would trust putting myself in that kind of compromising situation. See? Maybe a better answer would be to say something like, um, you know, I do trust you to want to do the right thing. But I certainly don't trust everybody else, see. And I, I'm pretty sure I don't trust the teen hormone version of you, <laughs> you know. And so because of that, I'm, I'm going to check up on you. I'm going to be responsible for you. I'm going to require these things. I, I'm not going to just let you, card blanche, go into these potentially compromising situations any more than I would put myself. I'm a grown man and I wouldn't put myself, see, in that kind of thing. And teaching them see that trust is something that's earned you know, it doesn't come just carte blanche just there it is it, it doesn't come that way it, it, this is the way life works right that as you demonstrate trust you get more trust right and as you show yourself not trustworthy you lose trust that's the way it works in life you're teaching them this you're helping them understand that. Now, trust can be regained, but it takes time. It takes time. And so, again, you're teaching that. And again, I I think this is important, too, that as our children are getting older, see, see, when our children are are young, we have full control, don't we? I mean, when they're little, heck, they'll die if we don't take care of them, right? I mean, you know, we got to feed them, we got to change them. We, You know, even when they're three, four years old, it's not like they're going to run out and get their own place and their own job, right? So, we have full control. But, but but here's what's happened. As they get older, we have less and less control. Now, again, part of that is I want that to happen, right? I want, th- I want them learning to be in control of themselves. But but even if they aren't making good choices, I have to recognize that my ability to control is diminishing over time. And that's why, as parent, as a parent, I have to learn to more and more understand that while I had control when they were young I need to depend more and more on influence see and that's why again the stuff we talked about last week and I have to make sure I'm continually to earn influence into my life to speak into their life as they're getting older so that I still have that opportunity to disciple them yes when they're really young it's all control but when, as they get older I'm depending more and more on influence see again I was a youth pastor for 14 years and parents would come to me and you know, their kids were 15, 16, 17 years old. They'd be making awful choices, and they would want to just seize control. And it's like, I, 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 you know, maybe there are some ways that you do need to tighten that up. But, you know, you need to realize where you're at in the game now, see. More and more, you have to depend upon influence. Somebody came to me after the last celebration. They talked, you know, my daughter's an adult now, and whatever. It's like, man, you're all in the influence game now, you know. You don't have any more control. But again, that doesn't mean you're done. That doesn't mean that the opportunity to disciple is over. You just have to learn now to work very hard to keep developing influence so that you can spend that influence seeking to disciple their heart. Well, let me kind of wrap up with this quote from from the movie Cheaper by the Dozen. Uh, At the end of that movie, the oldest daughter says to her dad, this is the Steve Martin version, so she says to to Steve Martin at the end of that movie, she said, you know, you taught me there's no way to be a perfect parent, but there's a million ways to be a good one. That's really good, isn't it? Again, this isn't about being perfect. This isn't, I mean, we're going to mess up. We're going to screw up. Nobody is a perfect parent other than God. And so our responsibility is not to seek to be perfect. Our responsibility is not to beat ourselves up for all the ways we have Our responsibility is to depend upon him and to ask him to guide us and help us to find the ways to be a good one, to find the ways to really speak into our kids' lives, to disciple them, to focus on their heart. With God's help, that's what we all seek to do and what, what we will do with God's help what's the take-home of all of this for you? Let me, just, um, let me just deal with three groups of us, okay? First would be those of you who are parents in the process, whether that means you're parenting your own kids or you're parenting your grandkids or foster kids or whatever. You're, I dealt with that last week a little bit more. Forget the prefixes, just you're parenting kids. Um, I think the application for you is obviously more direct. You know, what's in this message? What's in these principles, these truths? from God's word for you. Uh, maybe you look at that and you think, dang, I'm doing a pretty good job. That's great. Man, praise God for that, right? Maybe you look at that and think, man, I'm an awful parent, you know? A- again, wh- wherever, wherever in between of that spectrum you find yourself, here's what, here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. What's the one thing that you heard? What's the one truth? What's the one aspect that you want to say with God's help I really want to strive to do better in this one area, this one thing. Ask God to give you that one thing to put into practice this coming week and months. Group number two would be those of us who, uh, you know, you're here and maybe you don't have any kids or your kids are grown and, uh, you know, you've endured this last uh, half hour, 40 minutes or so or whatever. and you're you, whatever. I still think maybe God wants to speak to you uh, because as I thought about, it, you know, really... All of us who are adults, we're really just grown-up children, aren't we? And all of us who are adults, we still bear the impact of of how we were parented, (laughs) good or bad. I I mean, you know, again, I'm in my mid-50s. I recognize that all the time, how the impact of my parents parenting on me, good or bad, how I still, even to this day, it plays out in my life. And so maybe for you, the thing you need to look at is, hey, what's the foolish beliefs in my heart? You know, that maybe weren't driven out of me like they could have been when I was younger. But man, now I'm this age and I got foolishness all over my heart. Listen, it's time to quit blaming your parents. (laughs) It's time for you to say, what am I going to do to help disciple, to help drive out those foolish beliefs in me? So that I, I can have a heart that's all devoted to God and following him with completeness, you know, what's, what's that foolishness in you? Maybe that's what God wants to talk to you about. Maybe that's you. A third group would be those of us who, you know, our parents, our, our children are grown. And uh, maybe you're here and the problem is not only that your children are grown, but they're, they're not walking in ways that you would choose for them to walk. Maybe they're not walking in the ways of the Lord or whatever else then if, if that's you, again, it's very easy to hear a message like this and to start condemning ourselves and feeling guilty. And again, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is not the point. Don't hear that. But your heart still aches. And if that's you this morning, here, I'm going to give you this passage, this last passage, because I, I, I want you to grab hold of this hope. In Joel chapter 2, Joel is speaking prophetically, and, and this has specific implications, but I, but I think there's a principle here that's worth grabbing hold of. Uh, For all of us. And in Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, it says this. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. And then we drop down to verse 25 where it says this. God speaking. I will repay. Some of your versions will say, I will restore. I will repay or restore you for the years that the locusts have eaten the great locust and the young locust, the other locust and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you're full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Listen, if you look at where your kids are, the choices your kids are making, your grown kids now are making with hurt and maybe you look back and you see ways that you failed or you see all of this stuff going here's the here's the truth for you to hang on to this morning that we serve a God who loves to restore what the enemy has taken and so maybe the truth for you to grab hold of is this God do a work there restore what what wasn't there restore what was taken restore what the enemy took away restore what what happened that's not good God do a work there. I don't care where you are in this children's, if you have children, wherever you are in them, you know, if it's all on us, our kids don't stand a chance, do they? It's God's grace. It's God's grace working through us. Yes, I, I mean, again, when we were raising our children, we really strived to be the best parents, to do the best, we really wanted our kids to have every opportunity to really become mature and capable and godly people. But listen, we're going to mess up, we're going to screw up. For, for all of us, here's what we got to do, we got to just keep giving our kids to the Lord. And so I want to pray for us, that uh, God would help us do that, wherever we are on the spectrum. So would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, meet us in the midst of where we are. Whether that's parenting right now, up to our elbows, and little kids, or little kids' issues, or teenagers, all of that. God, meet us in the midst of that. And help us love our kids well and parent them well and disciple them well and recognize the foolishness in their hearts and strive with all we have to use consequences and everything else to seek to drive that away from them. God, enable us, equip us in the midst of that. Lord, for others of us who are, our hearts just hurt because of where our kids are now, God, help us to, to lean on you, to, deter, to, to put our trust in you to restore what the enemy has eaten. Lord, for all of us, Lord, our hearts are idol factories. Even if we had the best parents in the world, our hearts are idol factories. Because we live in this fallen, broken world, we keep turning to these other things. And so teach us, grab hold of us, help us to take the steps to drive that foolishness out of ourselves. Because, Lord, we want to be a people who love you with all of our hearts who aren't self-centered, we're you-centered. That we aren't the center of the universe. We recognize that you are and that everything exists for you and for your glory. Lord, that the authority that we need to line up under is not ourselves but you and to to be completely given over to you. And so, Lord, speak to us, challenge us, help us to hear what you want to say to us today and then respond to it. We pray in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, we're going to worship together...